This is a podcast about the hardcore community. Made by and for those who live authentic lives and embrace hard truths. We archive the stories of the bands and people who make this lifestyle possible. I'm Josh Lyon. And I'm Greg Benoit. And this is the Hardcore Archive Podcast. All right, welcome to episode 148 of the Hardcore Archive Podcast. Uh, As always, I'm Josh Lyons. Uh, Unfortunately, Greg won't be on again, uh, but he'll be on uh, 149 for sure. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be talking with uh, Joe Kruko. Uh, Joe's been in a ton of bands. Uh, We're going to get to the history as well as uh, what he's got going on currently. Uh, There'll be a Rochester connection uh, we'll be talking about with that, too. Uh, But, yeah, give us a follow on Instagram, Enterprise Hardcore and uh, Hardcore Archive Podcast. Uh, Follow and rate the podcast on your preferred streaming service. We always appreciate that. It helps get it out to more people and such. Uh, But, yeah, like I said, we're going to be talking with Joe tonight. Uh, He's been in a ton of bands. I'm sure people are familiar with, like, Barrier Dead and some of the other older bands he's in. Uh, But currently he's a band called Edict, and that's honestly mainly why I wanted to get him on here to talk about that. Uh, So we'll be getting to that eventually. So with all that being said, how are you doing tonight, Joe? Good, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, Like I said before, uh, pretty excited to do this. Um, I'm I was kind of surprised, like I told you before we started doing the interview, to see that you've never done a podcast before. But I guess like you were saying before we started the interview, uh, these weren't really a thing uh, when we were coming around before. It was like no, fanzines the, and then digital, you know? So No, it's 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 like kind of blows my mind. And it also blows my mind that there's anyone that's even remotely interested to talking about any of this stuff. You know what I mean? So it's cool. It's cool. I'm, I'm happy to be here and I appreciate you having me. Well, it's funny because not long before you contacted me about doing the show, I think Barrier Dead had come up in an episode with Chip Walbert. He had mentioned them. And then there was an article on No Echo, like not long after that, you did an interview on there. And I was like, I read the shit and I was like, yo, we got to get this dude on here eventually. It would be a good interview. Oh, that's sick, dude. And then you hit me up about the show too. And this all happened like within the span of like six months. So it's like everything kind of worked out perfectly. You know what I mean? That's cool. Yeah, man. Ryan over at No No Echo is super cool. So we did that. And I was like, that was like my first like real one after doing like the band thing again, you know? So it was cool. Yeah, there was a couple of years there where I wasn't exactly tapped into hardcore as much as I am now again. And No Echo was pretty much my my main source, No Echo and Hate Five Six. I'm sure there's a lot of people around the world that say that too. So yeah, no, and that's dude, I watch those videos almost daily, you know? So it's cool. Yeah. I, I I peeped a little Barrier Dead video on Hate Five Six uh, while prepping for this interview earlier. So that's cool. Uh, shout out to him for having a good mix of everything. But yeah, like I said, we're gonna talk about bands and shit. Um, any kind of stuff we can have on the podcast, obviously, and then um, we'll get to edict and stuff. But um, what I kind of want to talk about first a little bit, I'm curious to hear about is like your introduction to hardcore and like how you found the scene. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Sure. Um... We'll go back, dude. I was really, I, it's like a blessing and a curse. And I talk to my uncle all the time. And I tell him, I say, like, you you wrecked my life, but also made it awesome in so many ways. Because I have an aunt um, that's only five years older than me. She was like 25 years younger than um, my mother. So when I was like 11 or 12-ish, she's well, like 17, you know, and she starts dating this dude. It was my, it was my uncle Joel. And uh, he was, you know, 18 at the time. So I just thought he was like the coolest dude. And he was a hardcore kid. So I always like say, like, you know, I got into hardcore through, I was listening to Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch one day. <laughs> you know, I'm old. I'm fucking 42 years old now. Um, listening to just like radio hip hop, like liking that stuff. And then overnight, it was like 
you know, here's your life of agony record. Here's your East Coast assault comp. And I just like thought this dude was so cool and his friends were so cool, you know? And I was like, Yo. and you know, when you're an angsty little kid, you know, um, coming up, it was like angst, like aggressive music for like people in like fucked up situations. And it just like the stars aligned perfectly for, for where I was at, you know? And I remember, um, fucking the most, I would say influential thing would be like the East coast assault compilation. It had like, uh, Life of Agony, Berserker, Sam Black Church, Only Living Witness, Converge. And I mean, I heard, you know, to, to go from like radio hip hop and uh, to that stuff was just like. Poof. And then I went by the time I got to junior high, I went to um, a junior high school that had a few different communities that went to it. And um, I met a couple punk rock kids. So I, I remember my very first punk show I went to. Uh, we took the bus. We had to take the bus and then the train. The to me, um, we went to the Middle East, and I saw this showcase showdown, Bastard Squad. And I think the Pissed, if I remember correctly. I mean, this is fucking thirty years ago. It was like spiky hair stuff, and I liked it. Like it was cool. You know, I remember like bouncing around and getting like pushed around a little bit, but it really wasn't like I didn't love it. You know what I mean? And it was because I was just always drawn to like. I don't know, fucking chunky riffs, like really aggressive stuff. And the more metalcore stuff, that really resonated with me more than like punk rock. So it is like, it's a cool way to get into it, but there's, everyone's always like, oh, I heard, you know, I don't know, the Descendants, the Misfits. I never had any of that. So like, even to this day, I know it sounds terrible, but like, I'm not a huge punk rock guy. It just never was my, I didn't come up on it. I wasn't into it, you know? I appreciate it. And don't get me wrong, like the history, you know, minor threat, black flag, all that stuff, bad brains, but it was never like my thing. It was, you know, so. And then from there, it just, um, it just morphed. You know, I remember the very first fucking time I got in, like, I was doing like push pit stuff, you know, and at a club baby head. And my, um, my dad was really, I would say my family, they were always, um, we were like the house that you could like come over a house and do like whatever the fuck you wanted. You know, it was like that house. And um, so he would even take me to uh, like, I got to go to the rat, which was like a famous, like fucking Boston club club, baby head. Like, um, so I, I got to see a lot of cool bands at a, at a young age, you know, like fucking breakdown, maximum penalty, all out war on their demo days. Like in, you know, back then, you know, the internet didn't exist. So I would just literally, I was like this chubby little nerdy kid. And I would just like look at someone's band shirt, right? In the club. And I'd be like, like go to Newberry Comics, try to find that, find that fucking band. And then, uh, you know, you'd read the back, the thank yous, right? And it just kind of spiraled from there. And, um, you know, I, I also played in the school band. <laughs> I was a saxophone player in the school band. And then, um, you know, once I got really into music and then by the time I was like 14, 15 years old, um, 94, 95, like I didn't give a fuck about school anymore. Um, home was kind of crazy and just like, you know, the aggressive hardcore stuff was like, that was it. I was all in because, you know, and there's, you know, for better or for worse, the shows were like, like a little scarier back then, you know, there was a lot of like drama and I just saw some shit and I like, I also like love it. It was scary, but also awesome at the same time, you know, 
it's probably unhealthy. <laughs> but um, oh man, it's just so many good shows and so many good bands, and um, you know, I'm grateful for that. You know, for better, for better, or for worse, and you know, it kind of projected in my life, you know, in a, in a good direction at times, and then a bad direction at times. But it gave me a whole world of experiences that I think like most younger kids didn't get, and it was all because of my uncle, you know. And which is funny to this day because he's, you know, he's he's a regular dude. Like you would never know, you know. He's he's an old fucking hardcore guy, and uh, very influential in my life, you know. So that's crazy. A lot of what you just said, like, is parallel to like pretty much my story. Like, I was a hip hop kid, found hardcore through a family member. Shit got kind of crazy, or probably around the same time, and lost. I I stopped going to school in tenth grade and pretty much just did the hardcore thing. You know what I mean? Um. I have a really random question that I'm thinking about when you said the Marky Mark thing, though. What are you from, Rhode Island? or? So I was born in uh, Norwood, which is like 10, maybe 10 miles right outside Boston proper, if that. Uh, my my mother's from Dorchester. My father's from Roslindale. But then we moved when I was a little kid out to like um, North Attleboro. It's like southeastern Massachusetts. It's like right on the border of Rhode Island. So I kind of have like a weird fucking accent. Kind of I was more thinking, though. It's a it's a random thing that I'm thinking though. Like when Marky Mark was coming up, like was there like a local like you guys like around the area were stoked for his success or whatever? You know I, what I mean? I mean, I was so little, dude. I just remember yeah. like that being on the radio at like the same time that I was introduced to you know fucking Sam Black Church, like around that yeah. time. You know, it's just like a weird thing, you know. Uh, but I love like fucking Will Smith, right? The Fresh Prince, that shit, like. Well, whatever was like radio hip hop at the time, you know, probably 91, 92. And I did have this, um, you know, I, I had, I, I just got lucky. Like it was not like I, I sought this stuff out. Like we had a kid in my neighborhood that was a couple of years older too. And same, and around the same time that my aunt started dating my uncle, which is, they're still married, which is pretty sick. Cause that's like not common. I had this kid named Rich and he was maybe in like 10th grade. And he showed me like, you know, like fucking Cypress Hill, like cool hardcore iced tea, body count. So I really had this like cool introduction to underground music at the time, you know, when like fucking Cop Killer and all that stuff. Like, you know, I had it like on cassette, that fucking thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm so, you know, I have my little earphones, listen to that shit on the school bus. And, and like you, like as soon as I found that, I was like, yo, this is it. Like, I want to be in this. I want to. I wanted the whole thing, man. I want to play in the bands. I want to raise hell, you know, start a little shit, get shit started on me. I was just in it, you know, and I, it was, it was, it was crazy, but it was in it, but also really positive at the same time. So, so that's a good way to bring up my next question, I guess, too, because you had kind of mentioned playing in like the school band and shit before. And like the first band that I'm familiar that you played with was like as the sunsets. And that's more like late nineties. Did you yeah. work with any like smaller local bands before that? We so some of us we played in this. Um, I'm trying to think. My very first hardcore band was my cousin. Um, he played drums, I played guitar, and it was not good. And we were supposed to play one like local show, and it was in like someone's practice, like a mill practice space. And I remember being in high school in like uh, ninth grade, and we were like set up. I think I had my PV combo amp, right? We were ready to go, and the fucking police came in and shut it down. But we never recorded anything in um, the first band I had met when I went to junior high. And this is, um, I met my friend John, right? Like he, he, he went out to drum and daughters on the scene. I was just, a, I just met these dudes that went on to be like really cool 
to be like awesome musicians, you know? And we had started a band. It was like really cheesy. It was called Cast Off Skin based off this old like martial arts movie. And some of us went on to play in As a Sunset. We did like one demo, some lo local shows. I remember playing at like the one-to-one -one club in Brockton and uh, the living room in Providence. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, we put everything in like my friend's car and the one car that we had and go, you know, but it wasn't like, it was, uh, you know, just local. That was it. And then we always like, like converge, cave in, that type of stuff. Um, dead guy. And we were like, yo, like, we should play metal stuff. And that's kind of how As a Sunset started. And that, man, I was in high school, I think, when we started playing maybe 11th, 12th grade, I think, when we, we did two demos. Now, when you guys started As a Sunset, so you mentioned like some of those like Hydra Head type bands and Converge. But like there weren't too many bands doing like the crazy techie like blast beats. Like it I feel like the Willow Tip, the Willow Tip came around after that. But like, where'd you guys like get the influence to? It was a combination. One dude, my friend Holland, he was like a Slayer guy to this day. Like he was, he had fucking long hair at the time, so he just wanted to play like fast, you know. Uh, I was always kind of into the dummy riffs, like the heavy chugging. So that was like my influence, and um. John, the drummer, I would say he was like the most influential because he wrote a lot of guitar stuff too. And he just really liked chaotic, um, fucking music like that, you know. And he was just like super creative. And well, I'm trying to think at the time, you know, our influences for God, we probably listened to 25 to Life, you know, one minute and 10 yard fight. And then we listened to Death and At the Gates and, uh, you know, Converge. So we had like, it was mimicking off that stuff, but also trying to do our own thing, which was probably at the time, like it wasn't really well received. You know, it was, we, um, how oh, the fuck we played a lot with unearth back in the day when they first started, you know, like DFW halls and stuff. Um, there was a couple Connecticut bands, one called flesh old and dead eyes under ground zero. I don't know if you remember them. They were like really like fast, really like aggressive metal. And, uh, we used to play with those guys all the time. So I would say that was like, we had like kind of like our own little metal core-ish, but it was almost like, you know, if you were a regular hardcore kid, you didn't fuck with that shit. Cause you just probably didn't, you just weren't into it or you didn't get it, you know? So there was some, there was some smaller bands at the time that were regionally that like, uh, that we listened to. I remember we used to listen to that cable Jesuit, like these were kind of obscure metal core-ish type shit too, as well as, um, like the tough guy hardcore stuff, I guess, if you, you know, the hate breed and then 25 to life, fucking Scarhead, that type of stuff. We had, you know, the influences were from all over the place, I guess. If it was heavy and underground, we probably fucked with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a lot more common now to see hardcore bands mixing the blast beats, but back then you had to be like power violence or like death metal. Like you guys were like one of the first, I feel like, I, I think you guys came up here at some point in Rochester and played. At like uh Ellison Park or something like that. And I remember yeah, we played a lot, man, all over the place, you know. It was it's yeah. pretty sick. And then, but the first actual tour we did, and when I say tour, it was maybe like four shows in like five days, like they'd fall through, you know, like the payphone and uh map quest direct well, like using a map days. And uh I was in high school, dude. I was a senior in high school, my parents were like, whatever. <laughs> like, and you know, I some of the dudes were older at that point and we got a van and we got to play, you know, with like prayer for cleansing, undying, 
uh, 12 tribes, but like before they were, before we were, we're all nobody. And not the same, like we're like famous, but you know, before people really appreciated the music, I guess. And it was, uh, it was fucking sick. It was, it was really cool. Um, did as a sunset, did that kind of just like turn into daughters pretty much or? Yeah. So we had, we made that one, um, full length, which, uh, believe it or not, Howard Jones, he was starting a record label at that time called uh, Moment of Clarity Music. And it was him and Rich Thurston. They were both in Blood Has Been Shed at the time. And they were like, hey, we'll put your record out, you know. And some of the guys in the Sunsets, they really even wanted it to be, like, more obscure. Because around then you had stuff, I don't even know, maybe, like, Charles Bronson. They were, like, kind of going in that, like, really, really fast, like, tech direction. And then I was kind of, like, I just, like, ignorant fucking riffs like slam riffs and after we did the first full length i was talking to um for me personally howard and rich and at the time they were blood has been shed and then one of their guys was leaving he was moving back to ohio if i remember correctly and they're like oh we're gonna need a bassist and i was like i just wanted to play shows man and like and they were maybe on ferret at the time and so i i had left and then they put out two more records maybe a seven inch and a record after that and then i don't know what i think they you know it as a sunset after me they kind of had a little bit of falling out and then a couple of the guys went on to start daughters with some other local providence dudes you know oh you yeah. never were you never were part of that though daughters no no i was not hmm. no i guess i thought you were for some reason no um so that's around the time you joined blood has been shed then it sounds like yeah, I, I had left. I got that chance. I played a, ba a touring bass player for like a year, maybe a little bit more. Um, it was sick, dude. And I was young. They were like, looking back at it, I mean, they were probably like 20, like 10 years older than me. But, you know, when you're fucking 19, and those are a 30-year-old, you're like, oh, you know. But it was cool. We got to play a lot. I'd go to Canada, um, all over the place, you know. So that was really cool. And that's when, like, the trust kill ferret like those metalcore shows were like that was it you know was it, yeah was that a, was the early early 2000s because that poison the well uh like 24 or whatever year anniversary came up the other day and every time that record gets mentioned i feel like we all talk about how like that was the, the start of that era where it like it shifted towards more of that kind of stuff and and everything just exploded around that time too you know what i mean which um which anniversary was it for the opposite of December or the record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's that... one before that, dude. They had a record before that. I maybe had two singers. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. If I remember, I remember hearing that. And that's how I got into those dudes, you know? And it was like the two singer, like, you know, metalcore, fucking a little emo ish, again, metalcore type stuff, you know? But I loved it. That was like, you know, I always like appreciated fast hardcore. But that was kind of like my shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like you're saying, I guess you were right in the middle of all that for that, for the boom of all that too. And then, so how, like, like how does the timeline work for between blood has been shed and bury your dead? Like, did you start bury your dead while you were still in blood has been shed or? No, I had ended up leaving blood has been shed. I'm like less chaotic now but i was also like really chaotic like kind of fucked up when i was younger and i had left blood has been shed i moved back to providence and i then i went in the army and then i went and uh i went to fort banning was stationed in georgia and then i went over 
I was stationed in Germany. I got kind of in some trouble. <laughs> so I ended up getting out a little early, a little earlier than expected. So when I, after that, but it was still kind of sick. Like when I was there on which was pros and cons. Cause when I was stationed in Germany, I literally, I got to go see like Mad Ball and like the Netherlands. Like I got to travel around. I met the dudes in Caliban before they like blew up in that, in that age. Um, it ended up, I ended up meeting the dudes from copy kill, which were Alvaran guys, which were eulogy guys. So it was this really weird connection. And, but it was, it was real. it was the, the army sucked, but the positive side was, you know, I got to go, you know, Netherlands, the fucking Luxembourg, Belgium, you know, and travel around and see some pretty cool shows. And then I came home and I'm trying to, like I said, it's a little fuzzy, but I was always friends with Mark. Mark was in uh, piecemeal. He played drums in piecemeal with Kevin Baker from the whole conspiracy back in the day. And then Brendan played in this like doomish metal band called NR. And they were from like Cape Cod. He was a couple of years younger than us. And uh, we were all friends. You know, we all used to play the same shows. And I forget why, but Mark was in Hamaria and they weren't playing. And he ended up living here. His brother lived like close to here. And I think he was living with his brother at the time. And we were like, yo, let's just start like a silly, dumb, hardcore band. Like it was never a serious thing at the time. You know, it was probably my young man, right? 22, one, 22 years old, fucking drinking beers and just being dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and we did that. We made the demo and, the whole premise was just like, yo, like, yes, we love like hard, like good hardcore, but like, let's just slow it down a little bit, you know? And then people fucked with it, which was really crazy, you know? So we got to, uh, we ended up making that record and torn a bunch, man. We got to go all over the country playing that stuff. And it was all just like idiot young kids in like a cargo van and just raising hell with no money and just, acting <laughs> acting silly but we had a we had a lot of fun until until it was not fun you know but we had uh we had some fucking crazy stories um uh, one time there's some that are good for video and some are not so good for video but we were on tour we had a, a van broke right because you would buy a van for like a thousand dollars collectively right like pull the money and see what happened because i mean i think we had jobs and um or borrow someone's we borrowed a kid's van and they're like fucking broke down on us i think that's what it was we used someone else's this van dies on fucking 95 and we're like well, what are we gonna do right we have no money we're just like i don't even know if the thing was legal and just the stranger pulls over and he's like hey you guys okay and we're like our van broke he was like i got a van i'm like you got a van and a couple of the guys left with a stranger went to his house he had this old ass fucking cargo van filled with like wood and just like trash miraculously started they drive it back we take all right on the side of the highway all the shit out of the back of it throw it away um we got our van towed to like a hotel parking lot ripped the van off of it took the plates off left it finished the tour with us like the stranger's van and i, I remember it was like fucking 100 degrees in that thing and um this little cargo van you know sleeping on the floor type stuff and uh, we cut holes in the ceiling to make to get like air in there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think they had like no AC, nothing, you know. So we just had a lot of like ridiculous fun doing that type of shit, you know. Just not giving a fuck. 
Yeah, I can't imagine. That's so crazy. I've never heard of anybody just getting a van gifted to them like that on the side of the road. That's yeah, insane. but from like a stranger, like, you know, it's cool. I don't, you know, but. Um, one thing I'm curious about too is you hadn't done vocals in any projects before this, right? Like you'd always played like uh, bass, right? Bass guitar, yeah. Yeah, I started out playing guitar. Um, and I played, you know, then I switched to bass just because we, we had two guitar players. So I was like, yeah, I'll play bass, you know? And, um, but I always want, I was like, you know, I could be a front person. I think I could do that. Like, I always liked it. I thought it was, I just thought it was a cool thing, you know, like a front band, especially when you're a young, fragile fucking kid that's like insecure. It was like a good way to kind of get out of that, you know? And, uh, but I would, you know, the guys, I, I would just admired a lot of those fucking old, like New York hardcore dudes. And I was like, yo, I could do that someday, you know? But I didn't even know if I could sing or not. And in fact, when we did the Buried Dead demo. Like, we were like, I was trying to do it in the studio. And uh, they were like, I don't think this fucking guy's going to be able to do this. Because I like literally couldn't, like, because it was just like, you know, I could like front a band, but I don't know how to fucking sing or anything, you know? But it worked out. Did you, were you in the band? Like, did you do stuff with Victory when you, when they, were you in the band when they did that? No, no. No. Um, no, we were young men with fucking dumb egos and alcohol. <laughs> Probably more more me than them, you know? And then um, I forget what. I honestly don't even know, but we had a, a little bit of a falling out in our friend group. And then that was that, you know? And then they went on to do all that other stuff, which is sick, by the way. The second uh, thing's The Color of Money or whatever still holds up to this day. I think it's fucking hard. And it was so cool to... Well, I mean, we'll probably get to it a little later, but playing, you know, reuniting and like hanging out and, and stepping back in time. This, was, this has been so cool, you know? Yeah. So um, did, did you keep playing in bands the whole time or did you take a little time off before you did? Because I don't remember because the last time you and I really talked was when you were in She Rides, because I, I don't know if you remember, you hit me up about we never ended up doing it because I stopped doing shows. Everything was like so sporadic for me for those years, but. Around 2008, which I'm guessing was when you were doing that, man, you hit me up about something yeah, in Rochester. Around like, I think, we, I don't know the exact timeline, but yeah, maybe like 2007, 2008. So I actually had played in the meantime, I played drums in a band called Cripple Crossface with uh, this kid, Brian, that went on to play in a band called Fucking Invincible, which was like a really cool hardcore band. He sang, I played drums. Um, Nick, he played... Um, guitar he wanted to play guitar and daughters so we put out a record doing that um i think in 2004 i think it was 2004 and then and then it was just just like goofy but just guys hanging out having a good time but i still listen to it from time to time like, i can't believe i fucking did this you know especially with those like they're like real musicians you know so it was cool and then my friend george who's an edict now um we always talk like, yo, we should do a band. We should do a band, you know, and then we ended up doing She Rides. But unfortunately for him, that was like the most chaotic version of my life, <laughs> which so uh, we ended up doing that with um, the original lineup was me, my friend George. He plays bass and drop dead. Um, my friend Ryan, he plays now plays drums in high command. Um, this kid, Josh. And Brian, the kid who, who played bass and fucking Invincible, too. I think that was the original lineup. We did a demo. Somehow ended up putting out an LP on Stillborn Records, which is still, you know, I don't even really know how I was, like, really drinking a lot and doing a lot of fucking 
substances, I guess, you know, and I had, uh, so I didn't really, I just kind of like was there. I didn't really like partake in the, the managerial part of it, I guess, or whatever. And, but yeah, we ended up fucking Jamie Johnson put out our LP, which is crazy. Cause I don't even know if we sold them. I don't know. We played some, uh, we did a, a few shows of fucking gallows and cancer bats. I remember doing those, um, uh, play some shows with the Bronx and that was, uh, it was pretty sick, man. But I was just so like a fucking degenerate at that time that I wasn't present. If that makes sense, you know. And on top of it, when you're fucking drunk and fucking moron all the time, you kind of like, like you wreck it for everybody else too. You know what I mean? So it was a really like uh, I'm gonna say it was mostly negative. That entire that entire point in my life was really negative, you know. But the music's not terrible. Some of the words I, I look back, I'm like, oh fuck. But uh the music's not bad, you know, and they still play. They uh, occasionally um they play locally. My cousin plays guitar now, and then uh George still plays guitar, and they maybe three or four times a year they'll play like a Providence benefit or something like that, you know. It's mostly like uh like straight rock and roll now, but it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. 2007 to 2009 was probably like my craziest time with like drinking and partying and being out of hand and shit. I mean, the problems resurfaced probably like four or five years ago uh, to some and to the point where I, I got into a pretty bad car accident. But since then, things have kind of slowed down. So I can relate to all that, obviously. Um, and then is that why you kind of stepped away from doing bands for a little bit? In yeah, between? I just got so deep into it. that Like I was pure fuck up. Like. It consumes you, man. When you're when you when you're that when you know it gets to a certain point, it uh it controls you, you know. And you make and yes, like I am the master of my own fucking destiny, right? Like I make my own decisions every morning. I would get up and say, "Yep, I'm gonna get fucked up today. I'm gonna start drinking. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this," and that is 100 on me. But also, when you get sick, when you don't have alcohol or whatever, like you start doing things that you wouldn't fucking do, you know. And that and I think. Um, so yeah, and it was, it's my fault. Like it's, you know, it, the onus is on me, but also like when you're in it, it's kind of hard to bust out. You know, and I was, I was really in it there for, for a while and uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but it, it's a part of who I am. You know I mean? I think it was there. Like I don't drink anymore. I don't fuck with drugs or anything. It's been eight and a half years, but if I did do, you know, um, you know, the reality is when I, when I drink and do drugs, I can't say like, you know what? I'm fucked up enough. I'm good. Like, I just keep going until I lay waste to the fucking universe and myself. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. It's my brain. You know. Yeah, that's, again, parallel stories. Again, what you just said pretty much is what happens for me, too. Like, I I, I can, like, stop myself like, like you. Like, I don't have to drink or anything. But, like, when I do drink, it's like, who oh, the fuck man. knows what we're getting into, you know? So. <laughs> it is. And- no, I, I, I laugh about it now because whatever. It's 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 dark, but it is what it is. But like, you never drink and eat Xanax and help old ladies across the street. <laughs> That's not what you're doing. You know, you're doing some fucking outrageous shit. I did a lot of outrageous shit, man, and uh, I'm not proud of it. But it is also like I try not to dwell on it anymore. You know, because you got to move on to at some point in your life, and you look back and you go, "All right, I was a fuck up, and now I'm not a fuck up." And I really, um my life kind of went in a different direction of, of service. Now I get to help other people and then maybe it's redemption. Maybe it's not, I don't know, 
but now I try to do good stuff instead of bad stuff, you know? Yeah, I hear that. I just like, like, I try just to look back and laugh at all of it now. I don't, I try not to be like, oh, that shit sucks or whatever. Like, I'll look back and think of like, uh, my friend who passed away like a year or so ago, uh, I was like drunk one night. He met me somewhere and we were like getting food. And then we were going back to the spot after and we caught a cab back. And I remember like, I was thinking about this and laughing today for some reason. Like I'm sitting in the back of the cab with him and, and texting on my phone and showing him the message. Like, let's just ditch this cab or whatever. Like, like you know what I mean? Implying like, fuck this cab, you know? And he's out loud the whole time. Like, fuck you. Shut the fuck up. Like, don't even, you know what I mean? And just like that shit, I would never do like sober or whatever, you know? But like when you're drunk, you're just like, who gives a Dude, fuck? You know what I mean? That's literally it. Like, I don't give a fuck about myself, most importantly, and anybody else, you know? And that's just when I drink and do drugs, that's what happens, man. And it's, I'm not proud of it, you know, and it, but it is like who I am. That's why I just don't do one because, you know, it's, it's crazy. But it wasn't, I, I had a lot of fun too. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was yeah. not all, you know, the, pr- the trajectory goes up before it goes down. But when it gets down, that's pretty fucking sad, man. And uh, I'm pretty open about it, you know, now because I know it's so common. And, you know, especially in, uh, you know, punk rock hardcore where kids kind of come up fucked up and they might, you know, when they say hurt people, hurt people. And uh, so I try to be a service to all this, you know, and just be be present. And if someone needs to talk about it, like I say, that to, like when we play shows, I write songs are about it. Some of them um, I'm like an advocate for it. Like, you know, if you're doing scumbag shit, like, I still appreciate you and love you. And like, I want you to be okay. You know what I mean? I don't want fucking anybody to suffer. Cause at the, the end of my using and my drinking, I was straight suffering, you know, and it's a, it's a terrible spot to be in and I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. So if I can help, you know, one person, it's, it's a, it's a win. We're, I don't mean to dwell on this too much, but I guess like what you're saying you're into now, like were people from the scene trying to kind of do the same for you? Like when you were at that point, you know what I mean? I would say no, but it's only because I, I wouldn't let anybody, if that makes sense. And then, you know, when you, when you're doing sketchy stuff and you're, or you're in that lifestyle, you only really associate with other, cause the only people that will put up with it are other people that do the same thing. You know, and, um, you know, I just 100% that I have people in my life that were, you know, um, would try to help me like my ex-wife and, and, and certain things like 100%, you know, family, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I kind of pushed everybody away too and wouldn't really let anybody help, you know, for better or for worse, I kind of marched the, the beat of my own drum. So, yeah. But for similar again, because like when I was drinking and then like I, I like was like hustling and like selling weed for a couple of years, too. And like during both eras of my life, like I didn't really want to bring either one of those cultures around the hardcore scene. Like I remember being at a show one time where I had just gotten a shitload of weed. It was in like my backpack on stage and like a big fight broke out during a band set and there was like cops outside. And I'm like, I got to You know what I mean? I got to evaluate like how I really want to do all this shit now, you know, and and, and those like, if you look at it, those were the years where I really wasn't involved with hardcore that much because I was like, this I shouldn't be around hardcore. I'm yeah, doing this shit. Man, I mean, if there was like in a show, you know, I would drunkenly stumble down to a show, uh, one of our local venues or something for absolutely, you know, but I wasn't like in it for sure. I had other things to do. Just, just to, yeah. <laughs> I was too busy sabotaging everything else, you know. But uh, so then I, I stepped away from, from music and I miraculously, the one thing about being in the service was I had my GI Bill. And somehow I managed to, I get my EMT license and 
go to paramedic school. And I, I, for a long time, I like had this, this balance of like a professional life and a fucking dirtbag life. And I like, I held it together for a long time. You know what I mean? I was really good when I was at work. I tried really, really hard to kind of make up, I think, for the fucked up shit in my personal life. And um, so my, in a really weird way, like my career would get better and better and I would get a better job here. I would get a better job here. But then, you know, when I was at home, I was, you know, was fucking self-medicating, just doing all, all the, the craziness. And I wrote that until I was like 33, man. I was able to keep it just a, far, a fine line enough. You know, I never got in trouble. I, sh- I should have been in trouble a million times, um, but I just didn't, you know. And it, it was weird because I would f- so hyper-focused on doing a good job at work to make up for everything else. I like, it was this really weird juxtaposition. I'd like win an award for like a crazy call or something like that and then go home and just like torture myself with drugs and alcohol. It was this really fucking weird thing. And then finally, when I was uh, almost 10 years ago, I was like, okay, that's enough, you know. And here we are. Now we're doing fucking podcasting. Right on. Yeah, it's it's nice to see like some people like we've been, I, th- I feel like I've had a few people on the podcast that have, we have similar stories where it's like we've had the kind of, the, we've like you said, ridden the wave and now we're kind of back up, so to speak. So were, were you doing the EMT thing already, like during all of the the, the heavy like partying and stuff or whatever? I, literally like simultaneously. Um, I was doing the, you know, yeah, it was really crazy. Like I, I, I there's some things I won't say, but like, you know, I get out of work in the morning and like the cool, the thing about that culture is too, is say if you work night shifts, right? Um, you go drinking in the morning. It's almost like you go to brunch in the morning. Hey, you want to go out after work? Okay, cool. You know, most people go to brunch and have, you know, a drink and go home. And that's when I would keep going, you know. And then plus the way the schedules work, you don't you work like eight hours a day, right? You might work 24, 24 hours out a day and then have a few days off. So then I could, you know, I could go on a fucking tear for a couple of days on my days off, get a cat together just enough to go back. And I mean, I was never, never let it like affect my work. You know what I mean? I just, I, I walked this really fine line of like chaos for quite some time you know maybe six or seven years and it was uh looking back at it, it's like it's exhausting actually you know yeah no i think about the, the the late nights sometimes and then what i think about most is like waking up and being like hung over like if you didn't start drinking like during the day or whatever like being hung over for the whole day and that's like the like because i've been sick a few times recently and I'm like, compare it to being hung over. I'm like, man, why would I want to do that to my body and like feel like that the next day? You know, it's insane. Absolutely. I couldn't even now. And I think it's, you know, a combination of getting older or whatever. And, but now I'm so hyper-focused on like feeling good. Like if I don't sleep enough or if I don't fucking eat good enough food, like now it's like, it's important to me to go the other direction. I couldn't even imagine like drinking all day and then getting up and going to work. That's like, seems so foreign to me, you know? But yeah, you feel awful. And then when you feel awful like that, it just be, becomes routine. You so it, it's, it sounds like you've, you've been on a pretty good uh, uh, pace there with recovery for like a decade or so, you're saying. Yes. Um, at, at what point then did you get the itch to start uh, like like being in bands again or whatever? Did you plan any reunions or anything? Or, or did no, you so, kind of pop up? So George and I um, have been friends throughout the whole time. He's like my one... You know, I'll go back to when you said, like, was there anybody that tried to, like, help you? George has always been, like, a, even when I was being a fucking idiot, 
he would be the one to say, Joe's a good guy. He's just got problems. He and I, and I mean, I put, God, we used to go on tour, man. I, I've tortured that fucking guy, you know, with my behavior. And he would always be like, Joe's a good person. He's just fucked up. Joe's a good person. He's just fucked up. So I will say for many years, you know, and, you know, I kind of pushed him away when I was in my darkest times, but he's always, we've always been really close. Um, he's always been my friend. And then, you know, obviously when I got clean, everyone's psyched and I start re repairing all my relationships, you know, and some people you lose and they don't come back and like, that's, that's okay. You know, that's their choice. You don't get everything back just because like, oh, cool. I'm not a piece of shit anymore. Like, <laughs> can, you know, can I have all the wonderful things in life again? No, it doesn't work that way. Right. And, uh, but he's, he's always stood by me and we, you know, we hang out just outside of that. We do a lot of motorcycle riding together, go on trips, him and I, like we've always traveled well together, whether it was touring or like outside. Uh, but we've, you know, we've ridden our bikes, fucking Nashville, all, all over, all over the country, you know, sleeping on the ground and shit. And, uh, you always talked about like, oh, we should do a heavy band. Let's do a heavy band. But I was also like really apprehensive because of who I was before, you know, like in the drinking, the drugs, like maybe I shouldn't do that. Like, you know, cause my life is good now, man. You know, I'm a fucking fireman, I'm a paramedic. Like there's no trouble going back to playing show. Like, do I need to be in a band again? Right. Cause it's a lot of pressure. Um, it's hard on your body. It's hard on your brain, especially traveling, you know, and, and like, you know, when you're a band guy, I'm not saying I'm like popular, but like when you're a fucking drunken jerk off and everybody cares about what you're doing and talks mad shit and, we're right, and rightfully so. But then my, I just had like peace, you know, and I didn't need it. Like I'm just people at work don't know. They don't know about my fucking band use or, or my, excessive partying like my life was, was simple and like easy and nice so being in a band i was like eh, i don't know maybe i should maybe i shouldn't you know and then when the pandemic hit um when you couldn't uh, what would always be like you know because my favorite i would say probably my two current ish favorite bands harm's way and nails like i love that entrap them like i love the hm2 i like that fucking those heavy riffs man and uh, you know, I mean, we'd always be like, yo, we should do a band that sounds like that. We should do a band that sounds like that. And then when COVID hit, when you couldn't do anything, I was like full lockdown. I would just go to work for, you know, three, four days in a row at the firehouse. And then uh, couldn't go anywhere. And he was like, hey, you want to go to the practice space? Like drop dead ain't practicing right now. No one's practicing. You know, we'll be cool. You know, we'll stay away from each other. And I got this kid that might want to play drums. Do you want to come try out? And I was like, Fuck it, right? Why not? Like, there's nothing else. Literally can't do anything else. And then we ended up, um, you know, going trying a couple different guys on drums. Changed the lineup a little bit, you know. Initially, started writing some music. And uh, I don't think it was very good at first. <laughs> but uh, it was okay. And um, and then it just kind of spiraled, you know. We... we um, when things open back up, we had like we, we did a demo tape with uh, Shane from Kanai. He records a lot of bands um, down on Cape Cod. He did our demo for us, and uh, which was also sick because that like working with him, I got to talk to Brendan again from Barrier Dead. So he came out, and it was like just a really like nice positive reunion, you know. And um, 
So we did the demo, and then I was like, okay, we got a demo. I guess we got to play some shows, right? And um, my friend Mike moved back from Austin. He lives in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and he played us in a new band. They had just started, too. They hadn't played any shows. And he's got some of the guys in his band. The band's called Sex- Sexless Marriage. It's like a fast, hardcore band. And there's some of the guys from the Red Chord. And a uh, kid from Deaf Heaven, I think. Is, I think it's either Grey Heaven or Deaf Heaven. One of those. I don't remember. So his lineup of guys that he has playing are like fucking pro dudes, you know? And we're like, yeah, we should play some shows. We should play some shows. And then we did a, our first shows with them. We did like a weekend. And it was like, it was sick, dude. It was like stepping back in time, but in a, a really positive, positive thing way, you know, without the trouble, kind of putting all the nonsense in the past and uh, reconnecting with everybody too. People I haven't seen in a long time. And then we did... Um, George knew the guy from Protagonist Music. Puts out some records. I think it was in Groundwork, if I remember correctly. Um, he puts out all different types of records. He's got some fucking like goth industrial shit on his label. He's got power violence. He's got fast hardcore. He's got us. He put out. And he was like, yeah, I'll do whatever you guys want to do. And I'm like, really? So we, we did the first EP. He pressed a few hundred of those records. And we did this run of like some tapes. And we started playing, and kids like it, <laughs> which is also crazy because it wasn't like I wasn't the the intention. My main goal was like, yo, if I'm gonna be in another band, and if I'm rambling, you can you can stop me too. Um, I'm nervous, but my main focus. I never took Barry Dead real serious because I was an idiot. I was a fucking drunk, drug fucking dumbass, and she rides. <sighs> there was always like. Music could have been cool, could have been all right, but you fucked it up. Could have been all right, but you fucked it up. And I really wanted just to put out one EP that, like, I actually wrote lyrics that I liked that were important to me. The riffs were important to me. And most importantly, the people I was playing with were important to me, you know? And we were able to do that. Our friend Rich um, started playing guitar. He played in uh, What Feeds the Fire, uh, Reggie and the Full Effect, which is kind of crazy. And a few other, uh, he, at times he filled in Faz of Sunsets and Buried Dead too, back in the day on bass and guitar. So he's he's been in you know, bands for a fucking million years. And we added him into the mix and and we just started playing shows, man. And we're not, you know, we're not fucking platinum selling artists, but people seem to like it, you know, and there's a little bit of a demand for it. And uh, it's been so sick. It's been, it's been a really fucking cool time. Um, we got to play... When we first started, we got to play Obituary. We got to open the Dead Guy, the first Dead Guy reunion. And at St. Vitus, um, we played All at War, Ringworm, Cave-In, Integrity. <laughs> like, so I'm, it's been so, like, su- surreal just to step back in time. And now I get to play with these fucking dudes where I've always been like, yo, those are the guys, you know? It's been, uh, and it's cool when they say, like, oh, let me buy a record. It's like, I'll fucking buy my record. You know, it's a, it's a trip, dude. a good positive fucking positive trip, I guess. Um, Aside from there being like a million bands now, like what are some of the big differences you've noticed, like being back playing shows and stuff? Oh, that's a good question. Cause they're definitely different. They are well, 100% different. Um, You know, all the old guys, right. We, everyone likes to complain about things changing, but, my personal opinion is shit's going to change whether I fucking like it or not. <laughs> right. That, that's the way it is. Um, things 
positive things, you know, I haven't seen any trouble at any shows. Okay, you might see someone like get moshed and like get hit, but I haven't seen anyone get their fucking butt kicked. No major brawls. Like, you know, back in the day, kids would be fighting, wrecking venues, meet the guilty, you know, doing crazy shit. And uh fuck when you when you're doing it when you're, you're like a young angsty teenager or whatever, early 20-year-olds, you're like, yo, this is awesome. But then I don't the show that always pops up is when uh, the VFW show in, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, and like the ceilings got ripped down. And like 42-year-old me goes, Oh my God, someone had to fucking pay for that. Right. But when you're fucking 19 years old, like you don't you, you don't think like that, you know? And uh so I think the shows are definitely not as scary, which kind of, you know, this was that's how I came up. And when that's what kind of attracted me to it. So um, but it's I think it's a good thing. Dude. No one's no one's fighting, no one's getting their butts kicked. You know, the downside is is the internet kind of I would say waters things down a little bit, right? The accessibility. Um we we did a show all at war at our little metal venue here not too long ago, and this kid comes up to the door and he's like, What's going on today? And you know, I think turnstile's great. It's just not a dish on the band, but he's wearing a turnstile t-shirt. So I'm like, yo, this kid's here for the show, right? And he's like, I'm like, oh yeah, all out war is playing, these guys are playing. And he's like, Oh, he's like, do you mind if I just go in and get a drink? I was working the door and I'm like, you, you're not here for the show. And he's like, no, I don't know any of those bands. And I was like, oh, OK. You know, so, you know, there's that. But I mean, it also so it's a little negative. I hate like the online thing is kind of corny. I feel like there's a lot of drama on the Internet, which I mean, I guess there's always been drama on the Internet. But now it's because of like Twitter or whatever fuck it is now. And I don't know. I'm going to say cancel culture because that makes me sound old, but there's definitely like things move very fast on the internet. And I don't think that's always a positive thing. You know, it can be pretty toxic, but I would say more good these days than bad. You know, it seems to be that there's shows everywhere, little scenes like you know, we play in Albany a lot. It's fucking crazy there. I don't, you know, uh, Providence right now is awesome. We're playing these little, these little communities in their, um, the shows are good, man. The kids are coming out. Yeah, sure. Whatever. They got their haircuts a little different than when we fucking came up. But I'm sure the guys who had Mohawks said the same thing about us, right? So, Yeah, scene's definitely changing. I, I've noticed a lot of differences. But it's all things that I, like you said, I can't say anything negative about anything that's happening now. It's, it's definitely a lot more diverse than it was uh, when we were coming up, which, again, is for the better. I mean, you see a lot more sure. women... Uh, singing in bands now than you did back then um, and shit like that. That's that, that, what that, I think I remember Blood for Blood had a female bass player, uh, Disembodied, right? They had, um, I don't remember her name, but they had a female bass player. But they, they wasn't very common back in the day, right? It really wasn't. So I, I think it's like, you know, it's a good thing. Um, and then you're, you're rocking the shirt too. Uh, how did you guys end up linking up with, with Unbeaten? Um, so I was taught we had played a show or was supposed to play a show. We had did the EP. It came out kind of took because it was like when we did our first EP, it was just like, yeah, man, I'll put it out and it'll come out when it'll come out. We didn't really do any like we weren't like really pushing it that hard. You know, it's like, cool, we're just going to make some vinyl and we'll sell them and maybe we'll put out, you know, talk to maybe I think we did a little feature on No Echo, but it wasn't really like it was just like friends, you know a friendly transaction, I guess, if you will. And uh, 
we were playing with Drowning Man, I think, and the show got canceled because of COVID was still kind of like, you know, sometimes the shows would get canceled, sometimes they wouldn't. And I want to say it was Simon, Simon from Drowning Man either showed the music to Buddy from Unbeaten and um, we, talked, we talked about maybe doing a split, you know, I remember sending some of the music over to Simon he was like, yo, I really like this. Um, and he, he introduced me to, to Buddy and I'm a fucking dude, stigmata fanboy, you know, from, from back in the day and I was like, fuck, dude. I will put on, I was like, if you want to work with us, we would love to. Like, give me whatever to sign. We'll sign it, you know? Um, Cause all those Troy bands are sick, dude. And I just like, again, this is a part of it. Like I get to make music and have these, like, you know, they're not legends and like, you know, okay. in fucking real life, but in hardcore and metalcore, they are. And you're like, Oh, this guy wants to put my record out, you know? So, um, yeah. So we ended up talking and, and we were able to work it out. It took a little bit of time just because of, you know, recording and, and mixes and all that shit, but we finally got it out. It just came out. Uh, we put our second EP out, which is also crazy to me because I never thought we would even do that, you know. And there's a little bit of a de demand for it, and the shows are, are fucking getting pretty good, man. And the, the kids are coming out. And it's like a thing. It wasn't supposed to be a thing. This was just a couple uh, old fucking forty and fifty year old men playing fucking in the practice space, just hanging out, you know. And now it's like a thing, which is sick. So I'm just going to ride it out to see what happens, you know? Like, are you guys doing, like, I know you guys are coming up here to do like a weekend and shit. Like, is that mainly you're doing here and there? Just like weekends and such? Or? We do. We try to play a lot as much as we can. You know, everyone has like a, you know, adult jobs. I'm really lucky at the fire department. We can do swaps. So I, I can work for like a couple days in a row and then get like a chunk of time off. Um, but we try to play. We kind of joke and say it's like that fucking army reserves, right? One weekend a month, two weeks a year. Um, but we try to, uh, you know, do three, four, five shows at a time. It's easier for us schedule-wise to be like, okay, hey, in January, we're going to play five shows in a row instead of doing like one-off here, one-off there, which we still do, but it's a little bit more harder. I feel like logistically it's, it's a little easier for us to uh, break off a, a chunk of time and um so yeah we got those four shows in january we have a uh, tour in the works for march we got a we got a record release weekend coming up and then we're going to do a proper it's like a two-week tour uh still in the works i don't have all the info yet so i don't want to spill the beans any more than i already have but it should be cool dude it should be very very cool um i think that so far the most the pivotal moment for this band was last well, last year we got to do those Barry Dead shows. Um, that shit was sick, dude. Relinking up and playing all that stuff with uh, Great American Ghost and Barry Dead. I think we did five shows initially, and then we did um, maybe I think we did eight shows and Barry Dead. We four of them were Barry Dead, and um, that helped us. And you know, Matt from Barry Dead. Shout out to Matt from Barry Dead. He like single handedly took us from like. I'm not saying like we're like a big band, but like out of, you know, Massachusetts and out of New England into like, oh, now we have kids in Georgia that like us. Now we have kids in Florida that like us, you know? And uh, so those, uh, him and Ethan for taking up from gag, you know, taking us on the road was, was pretty sick, man. Even though it was a short time, but it, it was, 
totally changed. I would think changed the trajectory of what we're doing now, you know, which was sick. And what were the shows you did some, you did vocals for bury your dead on a show last year too, didn't you? I did. We did. Um, I think the first run we did was five. Uh, we played Providence, Rhode Island, Buffalo, New York, Albany, Worcester, the Palladium, and then New York City. That was fucking crazy. Because, yeah, so I did the Edict set. We'll take a break. And then I closed doing five songs with Barry Dead at the end of the night, um, all off the first record. But then you had me at Hello. And that was, uh, it was crazy for so many fucking reasons. Um, again, I had a fucking cancer. Last year I got diagnosed with cancer. And I had, um, it was in my lymph nodes and on my thyroid. It, spread, it was all, all over my neck, you know, in like five different spots. But when we had already had the shows booked, it was already in the works. And when they first found one, one mass, they found just like a little cyst on an ultrasound. And they were like, oh, it's no big deal. You're going to get, we're going to go in. We'll just take it half your thyroid and call it a day. And I was like, okay, whatever. It's common. It's not. You know, it's not the end of the world. It sucks, but it's like, if you're going to have cancer, it's like the best cancer to have, you know? And then they were like, oh, yeah. Then I go another doctor's appointment. Like, oh, we found another tumor. Oh, we found a third tumor. Oh, we found a fourth tumor. Oh, we found a fucking fifth tumor. I had one. It was infecting a couple of my lymph nodes in my neck. And I had one on my trachea. Like, And they were like, we can't even believe you can breathe right now. So we had already had the shows. Everything was booked. And when I initially told him, I was like, yo, Matt, like, I just found out I fucked cancer, man. Like, I don't know. Like, I could be dead. You know, <laughs> like, I don't even know what the fuck is going to happen. And they're like, you, sh you sure you want to do the shows? And I was like, yes. Because, A, the band, it was a really good distraction, you know. And I initially was like, yeah, I'm gonna I'll am gonna, i be able to do them. I'll get strong enough to do them. It's not going to be that bad. And then they found more and more and more. And then it was like. I had to have surgery. They cut my neck open from all the way. You can't see it on the, the camera, but from the back of my ear to all across my neck, it's called a fucking neck dissection. They took, I had like 40 stitches on my neck. They cut me open and they like scraped it all out. And that was like one month, like four weeks to the day before we, I was supposed to play fucking bury your dead. And I was like, Oh my God, like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Like, my doctor was like, you should not be doing this. Like, my endocrinologist was like, you 100% should not be doing anything. You should be on the couch. And I was like, we had the shows booked. I personally was really looking forward to it, you know. And, uh, you know, you have three bands of grown-ups, you know. We're all older, so everyone has families. They navigated. You know, we got all – it's tough to get 15 adults on the same page, right, three bands everything's booked, you know, pre-sale tickets. And I was like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. See what happens. <laughs> and uh, I was able to pull it off, dude. It was the most painful, most fucked up I've ever felt in my entire life. And in fact, after those shows, I ended up back in the hospital. I like really hurt myself. Um, but it was worth it, dude. It was such, it was just a boost for myself. Like, personally because i was like you know you find out you have cancer you're like oh the fuck it's such a mind fuck and uh just like the love and one a just being around all my old friends right like bringing out all these it was like a step back in time but we got to step back in time 
in a positive way. Like a Barry Dead Show in 2002, it was going to be 10 fist fights. <laughs> the venue was going to get trashed, right? It was going to be fucking pandemonium. And, uh, which, you know, we liked at the time. But now, it, it wasn't like that at all, man. The shows were still, don't get me wrong, they were fucking high energy shows. It was stage dive and tons of moshing. Um, they were still aggressive, but it was not like, it was all positive. You know, it was nothing but love and positivity. And I think that was exponentially like the most integral thing i think for my healing you know even though physically it kind of fucked me up but like mentally it put my head in like a much better space i couldn't have imagined sitting on the couch and just feeling like sorry for myself you know and uh so i have a deep appreciation for, for all those shows um for everybody that came out and uh it was really it was really special to me in ways that like you know i don't even think i can eloquently enough like speak about you know it was uh it was so sick, and the people fuck with eating, <laughs> so that was cool too. How long was the recovery time after the shows? Yeah, it was kind of in stages. I had um, because those shows were in March. I had surgery in February. We had shows in March, and then I had I had to do radiation. I had to go back to Boston because I'm seeing at uh, Dana Falber in Boston. So I spent three days up there, I was getting all these fucking injections, and I took radiation. Uh, it made me real sick. It made me real sick for a couple weeks there. And then um, because I don't have a thyroid anymore and they took the lymph nodes and the thyroid, I have to take, I'm like a guinea pig kind of, but I have to take artificial hormones and it's like, uh, you know, one month this medication works for so long and then we got to up the dose, we got to lower the dose and it's kind of, it's kind of a pain in the ass. So the recovery was, I'm still fucking technically recovering, but it was um, maybe like six months of like suffering before I actually felt good, you know, just being like on the couch. But I like forced my like forced myself like to go to the gym, fucking, just to get back. Like I I went back. I did everything stubbornly too much too fast, you know. I wanted to go back to work. I wanted to, you know, I do fucking jujitsu. I want to get back. And jiu-jitsu i was getting strangled like two months later my doctor's like don't do that and i did it anyways because i'm a fucking stubborn idiot but the you know the music the music and the camaraderie and the positivity from all that was like it couldn't happen it was like the universe after all of my fucking wrongdoings man it threw me if it did me a solid and everything just came together really nicely you know and i'm really grateful for that I guess I learned where the song neck dissection comes from tonight. Yeah. too. Yeah. I always say, you know, I got to make, you know, when you get cancer, you get to make it your personality for a little bit. <laughs> so. so is the whole EP kind of about dealing with all these experiences or is there? Yeah. The newest EP, um, we did four songs. I would say two of them are, um, one's about like self-destruction. One's about the, can the cancer and the other two are like politically motivated, you know? Cause that's one thing that's important to us too. Um, I think we're for, for as a, as a, as a band, we're like, especially in fucking 2024 coming up with 2024, where like in our lifetime, right. You have went from like fucking Ronald Reagan and a lot of negative shit and like and fucking George Bush and all that shit. And I feel like it's only getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And that I will say, so we'll take it back to like, I want to say bands these days because there's definitely political fucking punk bands and like fucking DB crusty punk bands still doing their things. Bands that I don't even know about probably. But I feel like, you know, 
music through the internet, right? Through like this big expansion of hardcore, like it's 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 watered down in that like that kind of like radical political message is kind of lost, I feel like, or at least I don't know about it. Maybe it exists and I just no one showed it, you know, showed me anything like that in a while. And uh, so I really wanted to, you know, write some songs that were important, especially how I feel, you know, and politics, whether we like it or not, whether you agree with me or not, they dictate your entire life. Like how much money like comes out of your paycheck, right? Where you can live, what you can buy, what you can eat. These so these are all things that are related to fucking politics, you know? How you're treated by the state, how you're treated, you know, in the criminal justice system, all those things. They're everything is fucked. And and, and uh so I wanted to write some songs, you know, about that stuff. And I don't have all the answers to change all of it, you know, but at least make some of the issues of, of our time right now um, and, you know, write some songs about them because there's a lot of fucked up shit on the planet. I mean, there are always fucked up shit, don't get me wrong, but maybe if it's because of the 24-hour news cycle or whatever, but I really feel like we're, like, in it, right? You know, especially post-pandemic, like, things are hard for a lot of people and they're they're hard for, and they don't have to be. They're, all, they're hard uh, Fuck, dude, I work 60 hours a week and I still can't afford to, as a firefighter, I can't afford to buy a house in the city that I work for. It's, it's crazy. And that's 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 politics, you know? And it's uh, it's important to write songs and, you know, that at least get people thinking. Whether, and they might not even agree with what I have to say, you know? But our band is, uh, you know, the riffs are ignorant, I like to say. We try to write some fucking ignorant slam riffs, but... The words and the message is it's it's all about you know social awareness and inclusive being inclusive and uh i generally don't read things on the internet like with people talking shit but someone said we, we what do we say said we cosplay as fucking leftists or some some bullshit on reddit some guy made a comment and um man we've really tried as a as a band like um when roe roe versus wade got overturned right the supreme court fucking did all that fucked up shit. We raised money for um, it's a woman. The it's called the Women's Project here in Rhode Island. They, you know, um, they fight. You know, they're at the state house trying to change legislation for for women, make sure that everyone has access to not only abortion care but like you know regular routine fucking medical care that's slowly getting stripped away. Um, we're fortunate enough that we did a shirt run, raised money for a local animal rescue league. Um, we have a Reddit. It's a little library. It's a like a community library. They call it. Um, we raised money for them. It's called Red Ink, which is in Providence, which is really sick. Um, and then we did a, um, what's that? Fucking, sorry, I'm, it's, it's getting late. Uh, Youth Pride, which is a, it's a, a pro-trans organization here in Rhode Island too. So we were, we were able to do a benefit and raise some money to them. So we, we try, man, we don't, we don't make, we're not taking money from our fucking band. We just try to, you know, raise money and help out other people and, 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 you know, sp spread a good message while also writing fucking ignorant, you know, slam riffs. I, th I think I think that's another thing that's different about this era of hardcore. I think you're right, is that a lot of bands aren't really into politics as much. And I think the only time you ever really see bands kind of band together is like when other bands are doing it. Like you won't really see a band kind of like how you're doing it, like just coming up with ideas that you have politically you know what I mean? Like, there's not very many bands that are just independently doing that now. And for me, like, as I've been kind of seeing my platform grow a little bit, like the way I promote shit on Instagram and shit, 
once this whole war shit started, I was like, man, I kind of want to talk about this shit and say all the fucked up shit that's going on and free Palestine and all that. But I'm like, I know there's going to be people that are going to be pissed off about that. I pissed <laughs> off people on my personal account doing it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I might seem like a pussy by not standing up and saying this shit on like my bigger platform or whatever. But I also don't want to alienate anybody. So that's kind of like where I'm kind of just like, I might sh- like if it's something that's really important that's happening locally, I'll probably share it. But even now, like if the police protests started happening again, like do I want to piss off the one or two percent of people that follow me that are like right wing police backers or Toby from H2O or whoever is into the police or whatever? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, so it, these are things that like it might sound stupid, but like I think about them more now as like the shit's growing a little bit. You know what I mean? No, it is, and it is, and through that. And this is when, like, the internet, like, things can spiral in one direction or other. And, you know, when you take a stance on something, you automatically, and especially, in, you know, we're, it's very divisive right now, right? I would probably say more than, you know, almost in Civil War times, at least based on, like, what you see on fucking Instagram, which, again, isn't always real, you know? But, um, oh, 100%. We, we drop a new song and people write, band's all right, not into politics, so you lost him. But then I go, I don't give a fuck, dude. Like, I don't care. Like, um, we make this music. We write these songs. We stand by them. We stand by, you know, our message. And if you don't fuck with it, if it alienates half the people, then it alienates half the people. Um, That does come, you know, maybe from a place of privilege because the band isn't my source of income. So, you know, maybe, maybe if I was solely relying on this, I would try to, if I was trying to be a fucking rock star or something, I'm not. We're not, none of us are trying to do that. We're just trying to make music that we like and, and share a message that we think is important. And uh, But you 100% automatically. I wear a fucking Free Palestine t-shirt. People, that's taken, nowadays that's taken in so many different directions. You don't know what someone's going to assume about you, you know? And uh, it's crazy. It's a, it's a crazy time, but I stand by, it's crazy. I stand, stand by what we do, you know? It's just crazy because it's like every six months there's some different argument that nobody can ever be like in the middle on. You're always on one or the other side. You know what I mean? And it's and, and that's kind of like where I'm saying like I don't really want to get too involved with, with the enterprise platform. But I also kind of feel like how that justified arrogance dude does it. Like maybe once I get to a certain point, I'll just say fuck it and be like, I got my people now. And you just do whatever. 1% can just leave, you know? Well, and you're always, you can't please everybody. And especially on social media, you cannot fucking please everybody. And that's just the way. Um, but, you know, I work, I'm a firefighter, right? And a, and a medic. So I'm out there. I work with all different types of pe- people. We work with police officers sometimes. And dude, I've seen, I will, you know, this might get me some, I've seen, you know, adults treat other human beings very well. You know, you can have a philosophical debate about, you know, what policing in, in America in 2023. And I, and I think that's okay. You should be allowed to do that. I think it's always good to critique everything. I fucking self-critique every day about what, I, you know, what I did this morning. And I think that I think that's totally okay. But I also don't think that, you know, every person on the planet is a bad person when they wake up every morning, you know. And, um, you know, I've seen some really good things. I've seen some fucked up shit. And my, I just... The way I try to navigate it is just calling out the bullshit when you see it instead of saying, you know, I think that's the only thing you can do. And it is weird when you have like a social media platform where like you want a lot of people to see your stuff, but then you, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a 
fucking in a weird line to, I think, you know. I'll weird. probably just I'll probably just keep using rap music to send subliminal messages <laughs> to people that way. And then everybody else will just think I'm just playing cool shit or whatever. So, you know. Yeah, but dude, I, I love that guy's page. I love the Justified Arrogance page. I like all yeah. the stuff dude from Hate Five Six does on Palestine. I think it's important, you know. And uh, I always say this, but we, you know, my family, uh, my grandparents were Ukrainian. You know, my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. So, like, my family knows whether we are okay, not me personally, but like, you know, my father's like, first generation fucking American. Like, we understand the horrific, you know, that. Um, how horrific fucking humanity can be, right? My grandfather had the tattoo on his leg. Um, it's terrible. And I just think, you know, it's our it's our job now, no matter what fucking side of the fence you're on, to to try to stop that at all costs, you know? And it's, uh, it's, it's a terrible time, I feel like. <laughs> you know, and I know what they say, any certain time any, in the history, there's fucking 40 wars happening in the country, in the, on the planet that most of them we don't even hear about. But you know that's a that's a big divisive issue of the week, and uh, I think it's it's pretty obvious where my band stands on that. You know, and, and it is what it is. And if someone doesn't like it, then you know it wasn't meant to be. But what oh like but when I'm at work, like I work with other guys who have a lot of political views and that are different from mine, and we still work really well together, and we still like each other, and we still love each other. So I also think that's an important like you know. And there is a big difference between, you know, how we're going to run the economy versus fucking genocide. Those are two, you know, there are some, I have some limits, <laughs> but I, I, I'd like to think that at the end of the day, most people are not terrible and we can like collectively get through it without limiting the amount of fucking damage that we do. And maybe that's naive, but I, I still, I still hang on to that, you know? Yeah. it's just tough i mean people are just like you said just so wrapped up in arguing and stuff and you, you everybody always wants to be right but i'm uh i'm at a point where i'm willing to to learn if i have to i don't care i don't really care to be right you know yeah exactly so. and like you know do things you learn new things every day and like it's insane especially me to be like nah, i'm always right i am literally almost never right about anything <laughs> you know so I think it's a good thing to be humble like that, you know. All right. Uh, I think kind of starting to wrap things up. Uh, is there anything we missed with like edict or any of that stuff you think, or, um, I don't think so, man. I hope the kids like that. We just, we just put the new record out, um, on beaten records. Um, I'm just kidding. I think it's online and the pre-orders are up. I think it came out. It was either, I should know this and I'm, I'm terrible. It was either December 8th, or December 9th. It went live. Uh, there's two versions of the vinyl, there's some exclusive merch on their website. Um, merch now uh, on Beaten Records, Edict, if you just Google it, and it'll fucking pop up. Um, it's really it, man. we got a bunch of stuff planned, and we're just going to, if someone asks us to play, um, admittedly, we're a little old, we're out of touch, we're not, not that fucking cool anymore. We don't know who's who, but if someone likes the music and they want us to come play, uh, we will. You know, if we can make it work, and and, and um, we're very grateful for everyone out who, who has been rocking with us, you know, this whole time. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure in the show notes, we post links to the unbeaten stuff and we'll post awesome. uh, like a, a flyer for the, the weekend tour you're doing around, around here and stuff. 
Um, other than that, though, uh, I guess uh, any shout outs or anything like that you want to give before you uh, wrap things up? I put a little list, put a little list together. Um, we're going to do one on the weekend uh, at the end of January. We're playing in New York City, uh, Gold Towns in Brooklyn, the Meat Locker in Jersey, California Brew House in Rochester, and Starlight in Southbridge, Mass, like Central Mass. That's a really good scene right now. Um, we're playing with our friends in Retha Tongues. They are fucking sick, dude. Um, one of the guys is in Thought Crimes, I think. One's the touring bass player for Glassjaw, but it's like, it's HM2, like, driven fucking. It sounds like Trap Them, and I think it's so sick, and I'm super psyched for to be playing with them. So check them out. Um, our friends up in your area in Pure Bliss, we did we did a Canadian run with those guys. They're so sick, and they're awesome. Our friends in Wisdom and War, they're also on Unbeaten Records. They're uh, super cool. Riffs are fucking awesome. They're wonderful people, and we'll uh, just keep your eyes on. Maybe, maybe there's gonna be a tour. Maybe there's gonna be one. Um, my friends in Gumscap, new Maine, new hardcore band from Maine. Um, they just let me. I did a feature, uh, a verse on a track that's gonna be on a benefit for Palestine. It's fucking hard, man. Those guys are so sick. They're killing it. Um, their politics are on point with mine. Their riffs are good. I would definitely check them out. Um, our friends in Clockout, they just played in Worcester last night. It's another Central Mass hardcore band. I think they're sick. Their new EP is just, it's like classic sounding hardcore. And it's fucking, it's awesome. Um, we're doing a weekend with our friends in Blood Tithe coming up, which is like a death metal fused hardcore-ish. Uh, that's how I would describe it. To me, it sounds like death metal. Some of them might say it's hardcore. Um, they're fucking sick and they're heavy. And that's going to be, I think, it's going to be like our official record release with them. And it's going to be really awesome. And my uh, shout out to my buddy Maddie and Shape Thrower. He records all. Um, he lets me do a lot of vocals at a studio here, and uh, he's in Norton, Massachusetts, which is like southeastern Mass. His band is really cool. This um, it's more like deathcore stuff, which admittedly is not like my specialty, but they do a fucking really good job, you know. And their band's pretty sick, and uh, I've checked them out too. And, you know, Unbeaten Records, obviously, he's got a stack lineup of fucking. T- some sick bands on his label and uh just everybody else man we're a lot of gratitude these days you know especially with uh all the stuff that life has fucking thrown at us so and i'm you know thank you for having me on your podcast dude first one i've ever done it's a little weird definitely was nervous and if i rambled my apologies the hardcore archive podcast is josh lyons and greg benoit with creative support from rob antonucci This podcast is a product of the Rochester Hardcore Community. Theme song provided by Stand Fast. Visit Hardcore Archive Podcast on Linktree to listen to past episodes. Follow Hardcore Archive Podcast and Enterprise Hardcore Podcast on Instagram for updates. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to have your band's music featured during the closing credits, please contact us at hardcorearchivepodcast at gmail.com.